0: Hello and welcome back to another episode of The Power of Podcast. I promise you this guys if you listen to this or if you hear me out for the next 30 seconds if you pay close attention and if you love stories you're going to really love this podcast. This is The Power of Podcast. My name is Warren Painter. We are available on YouTube as video. We're also available as audio on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts and probably all the other podcast platforms that we have in the country. Who I have with me is Vijay Thomas who is the marketing lead for Harley Davidson, India. Vijay has um, been a man who's uh, who I have ridden with both in the country as well as internationally and Vijay is a great guy. Um, he's a good storyteller as well and <laughs> you are here primarily to tell primarily to tell us stories about how motorcycling started and stuff like that but you got back from a ride in Spain. How was that
1: mate? Uh, yeah but first of all thank you for having me. Um, I, I think this is a great platform. been watching a lot of your podcasts and I think you guys are doing a great job. Thank you. And yeah, Spain, amazing. I mean, I always love to ride in Spain. Yeah. Um, fabulous roads, the weather's great, the food's great. Yeah. Uh, but this time, I think what made Spain extra special is the fact that we held a, a hill climb challenge. Mm-hmm. And believe it or not, uh, amongst the 100-odd uh, media members from across the world who had come down, our boy, mm-hmm. Vijay Singh, from uh, Rajputana Custom, put together the fastest ever time, 6.8 seconds. Now, you know, one should understand, it wasn't just a climb all the way straight up a hill. It right. was... Uh, uh, it was not a very long climb, but you know you had to get out of a rut, uh, go over a little hump, do a sort of a lean into the right, and then finally you before you hit almost the end of the climb, uh, there is a sharp left, and the finish line is there, so it's pretty technical yeah uh, so it's six point eight seconds of intense burst you know you yeah. don't really have the time to relax yeah. uh, that's what made that uh, particular ride um, exceptionally good yeah so like people say it's just full gas all the time, so this was essentially full gas all the time. Full gas all the time, but you got to use your mind, mind too, yeah, you know, because uh, it's it's if you if you wear on the gas all the time, you'd probably be over the <laughs> hill somewhere <laughs> else. You know, it, it was technical. Yeah. Um. <clears throat> the second best time was seven points seven point one yeah. seconds, but the average was between eight and nine seconds. So that that just shows what yeah. what kind of skill levels that one needs. In fact, serve.
0: we were watching this one episode in part of like you know on a computer, with ten people watching this. Yeah. It was some hill climb happening in Europe somewhere yeah, in yeah. Europe. Yeah. Where they were b- bringing in dirt motorcycles, yeah, yeah. but with an extended correct, wheelbase. And they had tractor
1: tyres on it. And they had to climb a really steep yeah. hill. Really yeah. steep hill. So much fun to watch. Yeah, because think about it. No, but why, why do you need such a long wheelbase? Because when you're going uphill the one thing that you don't want to happen is your front end going up. The last place that you want to pull a wheelie is when you're going uphill, especially on a steep hill. You know, by virtue of having a much longer wheelbase, it sort of compensates for the front lifting up. But interesting that you say this, you know, one has to understand what is the genesis of the sport? Um, I'd love to follow the history of motorcycles. And uh, if you ask me... there are three stages of sort of the evolution of motorcycles. You've got the first stage, which is the pre-formative years. Uh, I would say it's probably between the early 1900s all the way to about the mid-1940s. And you've got the formative years, which is 1945 to 55, and then the transformative years, which is 55 and uh, ahead. Uh, Each of these stages, uh, there was a specific or a multiple specific instances that sort of created this entire subculture. Now, um, we are all familiar with motorcyclists, right? Yeah. But you'd see, if you observe motorcycling, you'd understand that there are two distinct categories. I'd like to call it the red category and the black category. Uh, but is the there name? like an official name to this? Uh, I don't know. I mean, uh, almost a decade in in this space, you know, yeah. one tends to make theories of your theories own. Red and black. We call it red and red and black. Some of, some of this is, is observation that that I've had. Uh, right. Some is what I've read. Um, so who is the red category person? I'd I'd like to imagine that the red category person is somebody who sees motorcycling as an absolute sport. Mm -hmm. Uh, For him, it's an extension of his personality. For him, it's the fact that when I sit on this bike, how fast can I go? Mm -hmm. How can I do a lap in a certain time? How do I better it? Uh, Look at his motorcycle. His motorcycle is designed for the sport. It's aerodynamic. Horsepower is the name of the game. Um, If you look at the black category person, he sees motorcycles more as a social part of his personality. Uh, he sees it as a lifestyle. Uh, it's the community. It's the tribe. It's the fact that you're in a pack. Um, if when you look at the motorcycles that the black category person owns, style plays a big role. Right. Fit, function, the second, third, performance would be the last and the final part. The red category person, it's exactly the opposite. Mm-hmm. Performance place, the most important. The most important role. Okay, fit and function, very important. Style, maybe not as much because, yeah. you know, the most stylish motorcycles are probably not the fastest. Yeah. But I um, think
0: style for him as well is going to be more functioning. Function, or, it, yeah, it's more function, right? I, I, exactly. So, right. it doesn't
1: have to be pleasing to the eye. Yeah. You know, there are some, if I say so, you know, some not so very good looking motorcycles, but yes. they are so fast. Yeah. <laughs> Aerody- aerodynamic and, and so on and so forth. So, yeah, these are the two different categories of uh, motorcycle riding um, or rather personalities. Yeah, personalities. Now, both the categories evolved. The red category evolved into racing, different kinds of racing. The black category evolved into motorcycle riding culture. Uh, If we talk about the black, let's, between, you know, the early, the first 50 odd years, it was kind of slow. But one has to understand where did motorcycles come from? And mm-hmm. there are multiple answers to that question. You know, I don't think anyone can pinpoint and say that motorcycles came from this particular place, uh, because it didn't happen. It wasn't a bubble that just burst. It was like yeah. a lot of little, little, little bubbles that were sort of popping up all across the world. Mm-hmm. But my favorite story is um, the the velodromes was a big sport. People used to cycle. I mean, you're familiar with the velodrome, yeah. right? It's, a, it's an Olympic sport. So yeah. you know, you you've got this lovely wooden uh, a closed dome, loop, closed yeah, loop, yeah. and you know, you got these cyclists with really fat legs, strong yeah. legs, gunning it. Trunk legs, I Exactly, call yeah. it that, yeah. But the point is, if you're familiar with cyclists, you know that there comes a point that you can't go any faster because wind drag becomes your biggest enemy. Yep. Uh, so they, they reached a time when timings sort of started plateauing uh-huh. and one couldn't just go faster. So someone came up with an idea saying that, listen, why don't we take, put a motor on a cycle? Like a rudimentary basic motor that can probably go a little faster than the fastest guy around. So there were, you know your early engineers engineered a little <laughs> motor, put that on a standard cycle, and uh, got this guy to ride in front. So the the phenomenon uh, called drafting, which we all we all family. I mean, if you're a MotoGP uh, follow, you'd notice that on the long straight, if you're right behind the fastest guy, the slipstream gives you that bit of an advantage, yep. right? So s- s- same theory. Similar, similar theory. Similar theory. Similar yeah. theory. So <laughs> so this particular early motorcycle sort of led the pack. And people noticed that the entire pack started getting faster. Uh, Over time, the sport became more popular because more cyclists were beginning to go faster and somebody had the smart idea to, "Why, if we can do it inside the velodrome, why don't we do it outside? And that, I think it's a very romantic way of of imagining how motorcycles came, cycle, motor, motorcycles. Uh, So for the first uh, 50 years of um, uh, the, the last century, Very basic motorcycles, you know, not not very highly technical like the way we have today, but there was a massive bubble. Mm -hmm. Uh, Tons of different motorcycle manufacturers came into being. Now, towards the end of this era, the pre-formative years, the world wars happened. Now, one should understand that there was a time when horses Mm. were part of the infantry. Right. But... In, in our generation no one's no one's on our horse anymore. The motorcycle became the horse. You know, people were riding motorcycles in, in, in the wars. Now when the Great Wars got over let's talk about the US. When the mm-hmm. Great Wars got over, most of the, the veterans came back and they were trying to get back to normal life. Yep. Um you know you've seen the horrors of war. Yep. You can't expect the person to go and do a nine to five job after that. Uh, most of them suffered from post traumatic stress syndrome, PTSD, PTSD yeah. yeah. And eventually, they'll drop out. They couldn't work. But, of course, you should understand that, you know, by virtue of them serving or doing multiple tours, they did have a bit of pension or some money. And uh, some of these motorcycles which they road during the war were available in army surplus. One of mm-hmm. them was the WLA, which was a, a, a famous Harley-Davidson motorcycle. Right. So they, they buy these motorcycles and they start riding. Eventually, I'd like you to imagine this. You, know, you, you, you see this veteran who rides up, tries to fill gas, and he sees another guy coming on a, a similar motorcycle. But then, let's remember, it's not exactly the same bike. It's completely chopped off. All the parts that were needed yeah. for the war, you don't need it for civilian yeah. life. Right. So some of the barber culture... Came yeah. from these oh, chop shops that yeah, got rid yeah, of yeah. all the parts, right. um, so they will end up, you know, riding in on your bobber again. Where do the term bobber come? Yeah. You know, a bobber comes from the fact that most of us are familiar with a bob haircut. Yeah, you yeah, know, yeah, th- yeah. Where The you chopped the off chop. off, Yeah, yeah. Yeah, the 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 back of your hair sort of has a little bit of a Wave duck tail. Could, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> so that's 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 the point. I mean, you see these motorcycles. You see that the rear fender is chopped off. Uh, probably a little bend at the back. Yeah, single seat. Single seat. Bend, yeah. yeah. So they they two of these guys arrive at a gas station and they look at each other they're both wearing dog tags and the first question they ask is you know where did you tour? Mm. He says this particular tour. He says where are you going? Mm. Um, there mm. <laughs> Where's there? I don't know wherever the road takes me Okay And he looks back and says what, what about you? Me too <laughs> There uh-huh. He says you want to ride together? Sure why not? Uh-huh. So two of them start riding together A couple of days later probably at a diner they see another two guys looking very similar as them uh, They pop up and uh, four of them look at each other and they realize that they they all come from the same club. So it, it, two became four, four becomes eight, and eventually they become a unit. And uh, like in the army, each one of them had a rank. Right. So eventually, the highest ranking person amongst that group became the president of that particular group. And he, you know that's how the early motorcycle right. riding clubs, right. uh, severely influenced and inspired by uh, by the army rules right. and regulations. So. The formative years that I'm talking about, forty-five to say fifty-five, tons of these riding clubs started popping, s- popping up, yeah. up across the, the United States, and um, one should understand that towns welcome them because a biker who has money in his pocket, when you go to a town, you spend that money, right? It's good for the town's the course, economy. Yeah, yeah. So, so a lot of these towns started having their own festivals. So, oh. in 1947, um, in during the Independence Week, Fourth uh, of July weekend. A little town near California uh, called Holitsa mm-hmm. did something called the Gypsy Tour. I mean, they, they keep doing it every year, but uh, for a couple of years it was cancelled because of the war. But then okay. there was like the, the resurgence of the festival. Right. The Gypsy yeah. Tour. The Gypsy Tour. Tour, okay. Yeah. It's a combination of flat track races, hill climbs, good fun. It's a motorcycle yeah. festival. I mean, we're all familiar with what happens in a motorcycle yeah. festival. Now, one has to understand that this particular town has about 4,000 people living there. Uh-huh. And more than the population of that town... Bikers, bikers descended. Oh wow! Okay, and the town couldn't just take it, but they were—they they didn't mind it because it's yeah. great for the economy, of course. Uh, but as we see in any other bike festival, there was 4,000 bikers coming down. They, you know, <laughs> they have fun. Yeah. So there was this particular uh, photographer from the San Francisco Chronicle uh-huh. who landed up, and he was having this conversation with the bartender. And and he actually landed a few days after the festival, so there were not many bikers left. And he asked him, you know, how, how was the festival? The guy said, yeah, it was good. I mean, yeah, you know, as usual, there was a little bit of uh, indiscipline, <laughs> but not, nothing too major. So the gentleman, after he finishes his drink, he goes out and he sees this guy, bike hanging around. And he takes a picture. Mm-hmm. Now, I'm going to describe the picture to you. The gentleman who sat on that motorcycle is called Eddie Davenport. Mm. And the picture, if you could find it online, I mean, if you Google uh, the Holitzer incident, you'd find it. Uh, he's sitting on this motorcycle with, like, at least 50 beer bottles around him. He's got a beer bottle in his hand. He's leaning back. He takes this picture. To this day, nobody knows whether it was a staged picture or a true picture. I mean, there are two sides of that argument. But nevertheless, that picture was taken. But for some reason, the, the Chronicle, the San Francisco Chronicle, didn't print that picture. Okay. That picture was then sent uh, to the other side of the U.S., um, the West Coast. i mean sorry, the East, East Coast. East Coast, yeah. The East Coast. And... Life magazine printed it. Okay. And like, it was like a photo feature. Uh-huh. 80% of the, the page was this picture. And the uh, caption goes something like, watch out, this man's going to terrorize you or something. Bad like. boy. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> that, that was sort of the caption, you know. Now, in you know, a regular folk, when you see a picture like that, it scares you, right? Because you, you see this guy with a lot of beer bottles. He, the whole bad boy <laughs> image came into being. Um It wasn't good for the sport. I mean, there were regular folks who were part of motorcycle clubs who who, who did nine-to-five jobs, uh, law-abiding citizens. And then they're all, you know, you paint everybody with the same brush. That's what happened. So that was sort of the first uh, nail uh, in in that coffin. Later on, in 1953, uh, this uh, famous director called Stanley Kramer Uh was looking for inspiration to make a movie. And he apparently chanced upon this particular photograph, which is about eight years old, in in, in a very old copy of the Life magazine. And he sees this picture and gets tremendously inspired. Goes on to make a movie with Marlon Brando in the lead called The Wild Ones. Uh And um, it's, it's a story about a bunch of bikers riding into a town and terrorizing the town yeah <laughs> doom in 1950 <laughs> <laughs> something like that but um, by the time the movie came out and if you see Marlon Brando's attire you know he's got a beret cap he's got this black jacket blue jeans black boots yeah i can imagine i can actually picture yeah. marlon brando yeah right but now. imagine a, imagine a rider today it's the same look and feel you know yeah. it's, it, it's these little things that sort of capture the imagination of yeah. of the riders then and even future riders yeah but between these two I- unique um, inc- incidents, the tag of motorcyclists all being bad boys sort of became the norm. The norm, yeah. Uh, a, a lot of the riding clubs pushed back and uh, the American Motorcycle Association, again, this is unconfirmed, but uh, if you're a, a student of history, you'd be keen to read about it. Uh, apparently, there is a story that the American Motorcycle Association appealed to everybody saying that, listen, there are rules that we have to follow. We shouldn't be painted. Really? A, yeah, yeah, yeah and uh, 99% of all riding clubs wrote back saying that yeah we are in line we we don't want this bad name to be honest yeah and uh, apparently one person said i mean i can't say this on Shot the <laughs> on finger the yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah they, they they wrote back a, a not so nice email yeah. <laughs> email <laughs> not so nice. We're so used to seeing these yeah. using these words you know? yeah. yeah so not not so nice letter went back so apparently there was a, a, a conference in which the president of the AMA made a statement saying that 99% of all motorcycle clubs are with us. One percentage of them are outlaws. That is, in a way, you know, this outlaw motorcycle culture. The term outlaws came from that statement. Even some of them went on to make... uh, a symbol with mm-hmm. a diamond and there's a one and a percentage sign after that. And they used to wear it proudly saying that we are part of that one person. Ah, nice. So uh, uh, a lot of the outlaw clubs that at least we are familiar with, which were back in the 70s and the 80s, I mean, you know, you can know, you name these outlaw clubs. Most of them were the one person uh, symbol the very batch, proudly. Yeah. So in, in many ways, the 45, 50, 47, 53 incident, that was the, the, the formative years. And then the transformative years is when a dime a dozen motorcycle, I think hundreds of motorcycle clubs started sprouting across the country, and uh, yeah, and and they started riding, and they generally had fun. Today, if you look at a rider on a Sunday morning, when you wear your leathers, when you sit on a motorcycle, and you see a bunch of your friends around you, I'd like to believe that the same feeling that you, or rather, the same feeling that our forefathers experienced. The feeling of strength, Mm. the feeling of power, the feeling of the fact that we are greater than the sum total of each individual Mm -hmm. is the same feeling that we get on a Sunday morning. You can't deny it. So in many ways, instances like this in our history has inspired who we are as motorcycle riders, who we are today. Now, that's pretty much the whole black category story. Now, if Mm. you go to the red category, the The fast category. the only truth in life is that the second you, me, everybody in this room was conceived was because of a race. Okay. Oh, yeah, yeah of course. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, that one sperm that won the race yeah. is what brought us all out. I mean, our life was created. So that is in our DNA. The fact that we have to go fast. The fact that when you see another guy next to you, you need to beat him. Whether you like <laughs> it or not, you need to be ahead of him. It is a truth of life. So, as far as racing goes, you know, when the first motorcycle was created, the next day they raced it. It's, oh, it's, yep. it's a fact. Uh, so, in the early days, what, what were the kind of racing? Uh, there was board racing. Uh, imagine board racing. I mean, I don't know how they even made it. The massive motor domes. Yeah. The flooring was made out of wood. Okay. Literally, actually, panels of wood laid one after the other. And, and these are a mile long, you know, in a massive oval. Yeah. Wow. And the spectators were literally six feet above them. So you, you look down and you see these bunch of riders just gunning for it. Yeah. And, and you're seeing it like, you know, you can you can probably extend your arm and you can touch them. Uh, was it safe? Hell no. <laughs> because You know, they're, they're all riding fast and you you do something wrong you can crash into the crowd or worse if you crash most of the time what the nurses were doing or the doctors were doing are pulling splinters out of you because you know you're crashing into a floor wow. that's made out of wood right
0: Ooh.
1: yeah so so if you go down you're going down hard yeah you're going down hard and and then of course their their protective clothing was not nothing like what we have today it? Yeah, it was yeah, a of basic course. canvas jacket and, and a leather helmet or something mm, like yeah. that uh, so, so the board racing was very popular, uh, but at some point, motor drones became they got this weird name called murder drones. <laughs> <and laughs> a lot of people were losing their lives there. Yeah, I'm sure. Uh, and then they moved to dirt because yeah. dirt don't hurt. I mean, yeah. it's much safer yep. to ride in dirt. And, and that's a true thing the yeah. dirt does not hurt. Yeah. Right. But in dirt, what happens is the rear starts sliding. Yep. And in many ways, the origin of flat tracking came because from, yeah, from that you place. can't really. You can't really slide the motorcycle as much on on wood as much as you can on a dirt track, right? So flat track origin. I mean, at least the origins of flat flat track racing come from there, and then there were these hill climbs. And by God, I'm not they're not small five degree inclines you know these were like, serious inclines and it was not for the faint hearted and I've seen some images of the early day riders wearing barely nothing you know you're riding up the hill on one wheel the other wheel's up in the air mm. and uh, I, I, I even think that some, some of them even had a cigarette in their mouth when they were <laughs> going out <laughs> I'm just, sure I've seen images on the internet yeah, where people are yeah, like oh they're just, okay they are yeah. so brave open I mean, face helmet great, great. Great. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then there were uh, endurance racing uh huh where it'll be spanned over uh, multiple days, you know, you've got segments much like, you know, at least that's that's rallying of today was inspired by rallying or Le, Le Mans, You want to yeah, call, yeah. call that, yeah. And and uh, then there were economy races. You know, how far can a gallon of gas take you? Uh-huh. Um, so all kinds of racing, and every weekend, you know, Monday to Friday, the, you know, most people end up working somewhere. On the weekends, they're out there racing. So. The red category of motorcycling sort of originated from from this side. And then you've got your... Black category. The black category that came together here. So in a nutshell, this is the American side of uh, how the motorcycle riding culture originated. But that's just one part of the story. There's a lot more that happened across the world. Um, The the British guys. I mean, I've met tons of British motorcycle riders. And I find them to be extremely... Interesting, extremely loving, uh, extremely passionate people. Yeah. And uh, from the conversations, you know, you understand where where, where does that come from? Yeah. Uh, in in the early uh, 60s and 50s, 60s and 70s, British motorcycles were also very very uh, ahead of its time. You know, they yeah. were fast. they were very bikes. capable. Yeah, yeah very yeah. capable. And they used to have something called. Um, The Up Boys. Have you heard about it? No, I haven't. Yeah, so the cafe racing culture. Uh Today, cafe racers are, you know, everybody loves to talk about a cafe I've heard this story. Yeah, Yeah. yeah, it's a very interesting one. You should totally stay on and hear this out. Yeah, so basically, you take a a regular motorcycle. You get rid of what you don't want and put Mm. a lovely cowl in the front. Um, um, The rear seat is not needed, so you you get yourself a a little short fender there. Uh, And the trick is, they'll come to one cafe... Put a few coins and get the jukebox to start. Mm -hmm. And the challenge would be, who would take a spin around the neighborhood, there would be a pre-planned lap, and come back before the song gets over. So you ride from either that or you go from one cafe to To another another, cafe within a certain amount of time. So the term cafe race originated from this. And at that point of time, motorcycles weren't as fast, you know. So you know, I- every year somebody or the other would come and say that we've got a bike that can go eighty miles an hour or yeah. ninety miles an hour. But nobody really cracked the hundred miles an hour. And hundred miles an hour is the ton. Yeah. And um, so these guys, these racers, would would get their motorcycles, they would soup them up a bit, and they will try to hit the ton. And the ones who could do a hundred miles an hour, they earned the title ton of boys. So so ah. it is a culture of hitting a hundred miles. Uh, Or one hundred and sixty kilometers. That's awesome uh, on a motorcycle. Yeah, and uh, again, you have to understand why a lot of people took to it. Is back in the day, motorcycling was a very cheap form of transportation. Uh, That's that's why there were a lot of people who took to it today mm, premium motorcycles is not as uh, affordable as it used to be back in the day right. but there is a resurgence you would see a lot more smaller capacity motorcycles that are performing well yeah also i think back in the day there was no concept of having like a premium motorcycle or a small motorcycle it was yeah, a yeah. motorcycle it was a motorcycle correct just a correct. motorcycle correct. you had to live with yeah, it, you had to live it, with it, it absolutely it. so So British motorcycles also played a big role uh, in in, in the culture. Right. Uh, And then a lot of these riding clubs which were popping up sort of started branching out to Europe also. Yeah. And um, you would see chapters of these riding clubs which probably must have originated in the US uh, also having their chapters across Europe. Uh, The third country that I think that we should talk about is Japan. Japan's Mm -hmm. got a fabulous history in motorcycles. Again, uh, you look at the world's leading motorcycle brands, it's probably these three and maybe Italy. uh, These four countries that sort of leads it, right? Um, And and Japan also had a... I'm not sure it's a dark past, but they they had this group that was called the Okay. Um, You should check them out. They were... How do you spell that out? B-O-S-O-Z-O-K-U. Bozizoku. Check it out. Okay. And... They were just... You should see those motorcycles. I mean, they were regular uh, paddle twins or uh, inline fours, single-cylinder motorcycles. No, no, nothing really great about the motorcycle. She should put these really long forks in the front, a massive cowl, <laughs> extremely wonderful colors. Right. And the rear seat was extended about seven feet high in the air. <laughs> okay. So, where was the rider sitting? So, you've got your seat and the pillion seat. Yeah. The backrest of the pillion seat is sort of about six or seven feet high. Yeah. Okay. And not a very pretty sight, if you ask me. But, <laughs> but that was... Every single motorcycle had that distinct look. Look, yeah. And in the peak of this culture, there were about 40,000 members in that club. What? Yeah, 40,000. Huge.
0: With the same kind of motorcycle? Same
1: look and feel. I mean, of course, there'll be little variations here and yeah. there, but uh, more or less the same. That was the design language yeah, 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 in yeah, Japan. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, gosh, just imagine... A Thousands of them riding down a street.
0: Wow. It
1: it would make you uncomfortable, for sure. Yeah. Again, but what makes one uncomfortable is inspiring another person. 100%. Again, so when you you see a might of force riding down on a public highway, uh, when you go to bed that night, a, a seed of desire to, you know, be out there and feel the power. That's the same thing. I mean, you see a bunch of riders on a Sunday morning. I'm sure that if you see... 50 hog members riding uh, on a sunday morning in pune whoever sees that sight yeah it's hard to say that they wouldn't want to be a part of it
0: yeah because back i, I remember when i had my first motorcycle the charisma yeah, yeah. and the charisma was not a big bike yeah, so to yeah. say yeah and when when i used to go to lonavla or mm. you know go on a sunday weekend ride as to see these these big bikes going in groups yeah. and having breakfast and i was like Damn, man, I wish I could be a part of that group. So yeah. that's a true story. Yeah? Yeah, yeah, yeah. If there's something that makes you happy or gets a smile yeah. on your face, yeah. you want to be a part of it. And that continued till I got the CBR250R. Totally. Finally got, a, totally. got to be a part of the group. And I felt at that moment of time, I was like, this is the proudest moment of my life. I mean, this is what I... I've been imagining for the past two, three years and I'm finally getting to do it on a motorcycle, going on a Sunday with my friends, having breakfast, coming back, people are looking. For, for me, motorcycling back then was like, ah, I have a big motorcycle, yeah. I like riding, yeah. I'm going to just munch on miles, <laughs> <laughs> waste money on petrol yeah. and that, that was what, what I felt back then. It's an
1: honest thing. It's the same story, right? And you may not realize it. The beauty of this conversation is you riding has inspired a lot of people. 100%. Without you even knowing it. I'm sure. You know, there would be a 17-year-old who would have seen you yeah. getting up, kidding up, and uh, would have fantasized that one day I need to be that guy. 100%. You know, you. at least I remember that. Every time I went to bed, I had a few posters of motorcycles. <laughs> I had a few, Everyone has it, yeah. Exactly, yeah. right? Because it, it has to start... Because it, I think it all comes back to that point that I said earlier. The there race. is a desire yeah. to, be, to go fast. Yeah. And, all through human history, it exists. Um, human beings, if you, if you see, we, we got on horses. We got on animals to get us faster. At some point, uh, the horses sort of faced out. Right. And we got onto motorcycles. Uh, tomorrow, we'd find something else. You know, faster, yeah. Something faster. We always find a way to go faster. It Absolutely. It is inevitable. Yeah. Um, and it's
0: a great thing uh, when you also talk about MotoGP. Yeah, yeah. It's not the same motorcycle every year, right? Not it's, at all. It, it, they're doing some change. Yeah. They're trying to break the 300 barrier. I mean, back in the day, they were trying to break the 300 barrier. And the year after that, they're chasing 320. These days, they're doing 350. And it's always the the thing to go faster, faster, faster. And and sports these days are examples of that.
1: Absolutely. But, you know, the point that I think we should emphasize is that the same rider has been riding the motorcycle that, say, 20 years ago would have been... I don't know, 70% of the capabilities yeah. of what it is. 100%, yeah. It just shows that the same person, 20 years later, can still tame it. That means the human body yeah. has a lot more yeah. that has not been explored. You know, yeah. we could push our body to to massive limits. Yeah. Okay, keep speed on one side. You you look at people who do endurance racing. You know, 7 days, 10 days, maybe more, but you're still at it. Not giving up. you, you so th- I think the human spirit is just unbelievable. We haven't found our limit. Uh, we will keep striving and every generation coming ahead of us uh, would look back at us and say, yeah, yeah. <laughs> these guys, <laughs> nah, they were they were so good fast. enough. Yeah. Not so fast. Um, and, and I hope, I, I don't think it'll ever stop. It just shouldn't. It's a good thought.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. So you were saying something about
1: um, how racing took form and all of that. The Japanese guys. Yeah. So So this group, comes together but unfortunately off late you know motorcycles uh, some people look back at motorcycling and say i don't want to be this particular person i need to create my own identity but then that's that's the truth of of any product you know you have to keep improvising you have to keep looking towards to the future and um, actually some of the products that we've shown um, you know the, the pan america or the bronx it is a massive leap as far as Harley Davidson is concerned, and the feedback that I've got from members of um, you know the media, the friends, and you, is like, "Wow, Harley Davidson's getting into a, a segment that you guys were not there." So evolution is is, the, key. is yeah. key. You know you will have to evolve. You hundred percent. You can't just keep looking to your past. Uh, looking forward is is probably the most important thing. I still remember
0: this great event that I attended, and that was a flat track event at John Singh Speedway. Uh, I'm not sure if you were the first guys to actually do flat track at, uh, at that yeah, tr- yeah, at that we, space, but oh man, what yeah. a fun event! So flat track, um, so I
1: just love that sport. Yeah, I love it too. Uh, yeah, but you know, for friends were listening and do not aware of what this sport is, flat track is, in my opinion, the most grassroots level racing that you could do. Because what is it that you need? You need a patch of land. Uh, that you could put together uh, an oval that needs to be, say, about 300 meters or long. Uh, you need a motorcycle without a front brake. <laughs> and you need a lot of courage. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the beauty about riding a flat-track motorcycle is, because, is the fact that you could push the limits not of your motorcycle, but of you as a person. Right. Because it is the, on- the only, re- only thing that could make you go fast around a flat-track is your skill you could get a person to bring the most sophisticated motorcycle around but if he doesn't have the skill on a 100 cc motorcycle you could beat him yeah so one of the reasons i have that much respect for great flat track riders is because they could do things that a normal human being can't do yeah now if you think about tarmac tarmac is the most forgiving surface ever yeah you know when when you're riding on tarmac you can feel everything the grip levels are amazingly high your motorcycle has the ability to get all the rider aids working together because these rider aids are designed for tarmac. And you could literally see, the tarmac doesn't lie. If you see a flat road, it is a flat road. Right? Dirt is unpredictable. Okay? You, you will do one lap and the track feels in a certain way. By the time you come on the second lap, the la- the track could be completely different. So because every dirt sport, I
0: feel, yeah. is, is super challenging. Absolutely. I mean, on a racetrack, you have lines. Yeah. You've got your braking yeah. markers. Yeah. You've yeah. got your turning markers. You've got points. Which means if you're doing the same loop, say, 5, 10, 15, 20 yeah. laps yeah. So a day or yeah. whatever, a session, yeah. you know where to brake. You yeah. know where to get on the gas. You know where to look. You know everything. Correct. But in a dirt circuit, yeah. be it rally, enduro, yeah. flat yeah. track as yeah. well, I mean you don't have a specific point or a, or a reference marker, right? Yeah, yeah. It, it's just changing every single absolutely, time. I yeah, had absolutely. the privilege of attending Dhaka 2020 yeah, yeah. and I saw riders pass by yeah. and um, I know they have the aid of navigation. It's still well, analogue, yeah. but they still have the aid of navigation. Yeah. But if a rider passes by, the surface that he's, the next rider will ride on is going to be completely absolutely. different. And the rider after that, completely absolutely. different. Absolutely. And imagine if a truck or a car passes you, <laughs> And then you're on a motorcycle <laughs> riding, so it's super, super difficult. Yeah. And I think for me, I yeah. think rallying or Dakar, the sport stands at the highest yeah. level of just being a very, yeah. very courageous. Yeah. I mean, people
1: need balls of steel to actually participate. Yeah, in a sport yeah you like said that. it. You said it. And and that's the reason why, if you see, uh, you know, legends such as uh, Valentino Rossi, who yeah. trains on a flat track, yeah. Uh, yeah, you see Marcus and Vinales and uh, Dovi doing a lot of motocross. Yep. The thing is it's a great place to train. Yes. You're not afraid of the motorcycle sliding. You yes. learn how to control the slide. Yep. And, and today's MotoGP GP riders, uh, they <laughs> they don't they don't turn the motorcycle the way they used to, right? Yeah. I mean the, the rear is sliding, you find your line and, and you take it. And so in many ways, not only is this Good f- and it's a great training aid because it's not an easy sport. I mean, I can tell you, five five laps around a, a short flat track, you probably need a break. Yeah. Uh, you know, you could do fifty laps on a decent racetrack and yeah. come back feel okay, but five laps on a flat track or any dirt track <laughs> or, or any dirt track, f- you come back and you're like, oh yeah. but it's it's a great workout. Yeah. Um, and why I love the sport a lot more is the fact that your entry cost to the sport is also very nominal. Yeah. Uh, I mean, you, me—we all know for the fact that you want to kit a motorcycle and ride on a on a racetrack. Super it's expensive. expensive. Yep. A flat track—it's an everybody sport. You could yeah. a- anyone who's got any motorcycle, a patch of land. Um, well, there are different qualities of flat tracks, but e- if you have a basic steamroller yeah. uh, and a patch of land, uh, you and me can make a flat track. Yeah, and, and that—and it's like a golf course, right? Um, there are—they—they they say that no golf course is a bad course you you need to play against the course um, similarly no flat track is a bad flat track you need to learn how to crack that particular course yeah. uh, so the course that, I mean the flat track that we made at India Bike Week this time was a I mean in 2019 was a much more forgiving flat track but the one that we had in 2017 wasn't very easy to ride I mean the, the you know every three laps, there were massive ruts that were being formed, you know, and you get into one of those ruts, you need Boom. to have the courage. Because yeah. Yeah, you your, your rear just gets completely stuck into it and you need to figure out a way to get out of it. But that's also part of the challenge. Yeah. Whereas on, on, a, on Tarmac,
0: yeah.
1: you just, the track does not change. The track will remain the same track. Well, I mean, at a different level, you know, yeah, you could say that there was a lot more rubber on the track, or there's not yeah, for regular people. Like yeah, this, yeah, I it right. yeah, it doesn't matter. It Doesn't matter. You know, it, it'll it'll seem like the same track um, over and over again. Yeah,
0: because I remember uh, doing the flat track session with you guys. I yeah. think in two thousand and eighteen, if yeah. I'm not wrong, and um, there was a race between yeah. all of us friends, yeah. and we were going around. Yeah. And I remember reaching the finals, and by the time I reached the final stage. Yeah, yeah. The track was completely, <laughs> completely different. different. Yeah.
1: Oh, but by the way, I mean, since we we're with, he's, he's the champion. <laughs> he had the best time at Chancing uh, Speedway. Yeah, I, I won and, the uh, inaugural round. Yeah, yeah. And first time you were on a flat first track. First time on right? a flat track. Yeah. Yeah. So what you need to take away from the fact is from this is the fact that it's also a level playing field. It doesn't matter how good you are on tarmac, but yeah. once you come to a flat track, yeah. you're as good as the guy next to you. Yeah, because I
0: remember <laughs> going up against Dilip Lalwani in the finals, and yeah. I was like, "Shit, man, this this guy is fast. Oh, man, this is not gonna happen." And and I was like, "Oh, fuck,
1: I won." I was, yeah, exactly. Oh, was good, exactly. Good yeah. So so that's also the beauty of the sport that that you could get there. And take on anybody. It yeah. doesn't matter. Yeah. And if it's your day, you'll go back as, as champion. Yeah. Yeah. But I distinctly remember, you know, the first thing that happens to first-time flat trackers is you get on the motorcycle, the minute you feel the rear sliding, you'll you try to grab the ra- <laughs> yeah. You grab the front <laughs> brake and then you're like, where the yeah. hell is it? And then you're trying to steer and all of that. Yeah. It was yeah. fun though. It was fun though. <laughs> but
0: I, I think I think one last question that I really want to ask you and and you're such an enthusiast in the way you talk. You're so passionate about yeah, motorcycles. What is that one sport yeah. that is outside the country that you would want to happen in India?
1: Oh, yeah. Right now, ever since we did the hill climb, and I think that needs to come. Yeah. Uh, we, we need to put together a really good... Uh, find a find a hill, cut it, uh, build a few um, Harley-Davidson's uh, with, with the right tyres. Yeah. Maybe extend a bit of the wheelbase and uh, send it up as fast as we could and again I- anybody can do it you know we're we such a large country we don't we have no shortages of hills you know it, it doesn't have to be a very high hill it could be about 50 meters or 100 meters yeah um time trials <sighs> I yeah i mean the, and possibilities and yeah, endless, the possibilities right? are endless right but that's the sport you would want in yes, india yes 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 and um Motorcycles can't be used only for one activity, you know. It's such a versatile product. There's so much that one can do with it. Uh, I'd also like to think about large capacity motorcycles in economy races. Oh, There's that a bit would be of humor fun. in it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And uh, why not? You know, you find find a nice I'll see you stretch. after twenty kilometers. <laughs> yeah. Six hours later. Six. <laughs> Yeah, that should be yeah. fun. <laughs> first gear, neutral, weight, no one's watching you use your legs to paddle a little bit. Yeah, <laughs> but Get over the finish line as late as possible. Why not? Yeah.
0: But you I, you know, I, I remember seeing pictures of you on the track. Yeah. You've done flat track, you've yeah. done hill climb. What is your favourite sport of it? Out of this all?
1: Very difficult to answer that question, uh, Varun. Because I, I love motorcycles, period. I, I love everything that it can do. Um, and I love the fact that on a Sunday morning you you take a lovely Harley Davidson, and you you find a winding road, uh, do a three-hour ride where your mind just wanders. You know, let the, let the motorcycle rides itself. Just enjoy it. You know, you feel one with the machine. It's sort of a Zen-like state that you get into. Um, you don't have to think about riding. You don't have to think about where to point the bike. You don't have to think about. You're just free. I also, at the same time, I'd like to be challenged. I'd like to get on a motorcycle that can scare you. Uh, You have to be 100% focused. You're searching for your lines and you know that one mistake um, not only can cost you, it could cost the motorcycle. Uh, And and probably someone else as well. Someone else as well. That's meditative too because you're so focused in it. Uh, So I love both sides of it and I I love them equally. So it's very difficult for me to say um, which particular sport would I like to have, Um, but as people who are living in India at this point of time, we're privileged to be part of brands. We're privileged to be, um, you're privileged to be in in this side of the media. I think it's our responsibility to bring multiple opportunities to fellow motorcyclists. Uh, It's our responsibility. It's a great responsibility and Mm -hmm. we need to Uh, if we don't do it nobody else will so uh, in many ways the fact that we got flat tracking to India is one thing Uh, hill climb maybe next uh, maybe next yeah
0: and exactly why I think through the five and a half years that I've been doing this I never really got attached to one genre of motorcycling because this work allows me to experiment with all kinds of motorcycling events right be it on the track be it yeah. Uh, uh, in doing a rally or maybe doing flat track maybe he'll climb his next. so I never really got attached yeah. to one kind of uh, genre and I think that gives me the space to evolve yeah. and adapt yeah. in every because every kind of motorcycling yeah, requires a different kind of input
1: Yeah, you're lucky because every week you get to ride a different motorcycle <laughs> not, exactly. not not everybody yeah. has that privilege yeah. so and I can't
0: apply the same principles that I apply on a track to yeah. dirt you can't of and, and vice versa I can't do that so I, I think for me, in the position that I am, I, I am incredibly privileged and, yeah. you know, feel lucky to just be yeah. on every side of yeah. motorcycling that it has to offer. Yeah. And, and that is so great about this job. And, and I absolutely love it.
1: Wonderful. And I've seen you ride. You're a very capable rider, irrespective of what the time <laughs> is. Yeah. Yeah, he's, he's, he's strong. He's, he's solid. And uh, I think his basics are also very, very well uh, set. <laughs> Go to school, you, right? You yeah, mean, yeah, of course. Yeah, I
0: mean, say. I think the best place for someone to learn a specific art of motorcycling yeah. if they're interested in it, Is to go to a school of course, yeah. Yeah, well, and and that school teaches you pff, just to get better faster absolutely. safer absolutely. and a school like your educational academic yeah, system yeah. this is also an educational
1: yeah, academic yeah. system and yeah. absolutely yeah. go to school have you been to a school? of course all kinds of schools I've been to flat track school I've been to motocross school I've been to um track schools and of course Harley Davidson has a riding academy that we do on, on how to manage large capacity uh, V-Twins Right. Um, of course I never lose an opportunity to go to school yeah. because you know they, at some point when you keep going back to school you might think I've learned it all right I mean wh- what is there to learn anymore but there'll always be that one instructor who would give you that little nugget yeah. that will change your riding
0: dude it, it happened at See? CSS yeah. last year See? Uh not last year, last year, yeah, August. Yeah. I, I I usually go to schools being a noob. Yeah. I, I just know how to operate the clutch, get on the throttle, yeah. stuff like that. And I consider myself a fairly good rider. And I got a level four coach at CSS, yeah. right? And this guy in the very first session points out 10 mistakes. <laughs> and I'm like, dude, I need to learn so much more. And that's, that's the yeah. great thing, yeah? yeah. You learn yeah. every time you go yeah, to yeah. a school. If you go to the same school twice yeah. or thrice, yeah. you'll still learn something.
1: Yeah. I agree and it's it's not just about riding a motorcycle that you learn you you learn a lot about motorcyclists right yes. so you should understand a group of people come to school they are there to learn, but they also are there to share their experiences. Because the equal number of time, equal amount of time that you're on a motorcycle, you're off the motorcycle. And some of these conversations are great life lessons. You know, people who come from different parts, and that's that's the glue that keeps everybody together, right? And the very fact that you find somebody who rides a motorcycle, you connect with them. Yes, absolutely. Irrespective of what they ride, <laughs> irrespective because. fact is it's a good
0: conversation starter yeah motorcycles i couldn't
1: say it better it is a great conversation starter and uh, wherever you are in the world it does it it could be india it could be europe it could be africa you name it Uh, if he or she is on a motorcycle you can connect
0: yeah on that note uh, thank you so much for being on the show. I love you, man. I you're so passionate. It's always a pleasure talking to you. I still remember a chat when we were in America. There's so much to mm-hmm. learn from you. If you want to learn something from Vijay Thomas, you can pester him on Instagram. He's there as uh, Vijay Thomas or VM Thomas, something like that. Vijay Thomas, Vijay. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So you can pester him, drop him DMs. Sure. So if you want to learn something about motorcycles or just the history of motorcycling is something that if you want to listen to a story a bedtime story you can paste him on Instagram but thank you so much man bed, thank you for taking the time, time out bedtime story no. any <laughs> other
1: story
0: <laughs> hey don't you pushing it a little a little too much yeah <laughs> But thank you, man. Thank you so much for being on the show. It's always yeah, it's a been pleasure, pleasure talking it's to you. And uh, great stories. We should catch up again. If you want to listen to some more stories, let us know what you want to listen to. We'll do a bit of research and uh, hopefully be back with Vijay Thomas on the show again. Uh, but thank you. He leaves for IHR tomorrow, which yes. is the India Hog rally. By yes. the time this podcast goes out, the rally will be over. Everybody will be back home. But uh, safe riding. And uh, once again, on a final ending note, thank you so much. You're listening to the Power Drift podcast. Any last words? ride safe ride hard ride safe ride hard and uh, that's me signing off i'm warren painter and they know the drill man they know <laughs> they, they know the drill <laughs>
1: well done. thank you
0: cheers